Hello, 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 and welcome to She is Magic, a podcast where we will be celebrating our badassery, drawing out our greatness, embracing our femininity, and talking about all things love and life. If you are tuning in for the first time, welcome, sis. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Ashley, also known as Miss Star. I am a life and business transformation coach, a published author, founder of Tea Time, a secret sister circle, and I love all things women empowerment. We truly are stronger together, and this podcast is all about building each other up. It's a safe space where you can kick back, relax, take off the armor, and have some tea time with your girls. It could be hot tea, it could be iced tea, or it could be tequila. It really just depends on the day. So let's get into it. Hey, my beautiful badasses. Did you miss me? Did you miss me? How you doing? I miss you. (laughs) Oh, man. So... I'm very excited about today's podcast episode. I had the pleasure of sitting down and speaking with Yenny James, who is a really, really close friend of mine. We've been friends for over 10 years. She's a sister. She is a wife, a mother, a business owner. She's the founder and CEO of Paradigm Doulas. So I got to sit down and talk to her and find out what she's up to and how she's just inspiring and making waves for so many people in this world. And I can't wait for you guys to meet her. So without further ado, we're going to get into it. <laughs> So welcome, Yanni. Thank you for having me, Star. Thank you for having me. I love spending time with you. So I'm so excited to be in this space with you. Yeah, I'm so, I'm just honored that you said yes. You know, you. Obviously, how could I not? Oh my gosh, so many good conversations to have and to spend time with you. I'm so excited. All right, so just be yourself, just be comfortable. Whatever comes up, comes up. Um, But I do want to start off by asking you before I have you tell me a little bit about what you do, what is one word that you would use to describe the season of your life that you're in? The season that I'm currently in is growth. And growth is difficult, sis. Growth has been, it's part of development, but it's pressure, right? And when I think about growth, when I think about pressure, I think about diamonds. I think about the olive oil. I think about just so many things, um, pearls, right? So a lot of things that I have been going through is part of my growth and development and it hasn't been easy, but it's necessary. necessary. I can definitely, (laughs) definitely identify with that. Um, You know, one of my mentors, she was talking about, I felt like I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many things happening. Like, oh, it's so difficult. And she was like, there was so many, amazing things that have been like created in the darkness and like she talked about like plants and and how plants grow they gotta be put in the dirt and they gotta you know absorb the sunlight and water and stuff like that and then she also mentioned like childbirth you know because the babies gotta push through too um so it's interesting that like you help facilitate that process for other people 
Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it's funny you talk about like plan and childbirth. And a lot of a lot of people don't think about the process, right? So like a seed, it takes a while for the seed to to blossom and for you to harvest something. And in the middle of this process, a lot of people give up because they don't see the seed flourishing. And in like childbirth, a lot of people focus on the baby being born, but they don't focus on the process of the mom or the birthing parent and what these nine or 10 months are. Right. The things that they have to grow. Um, one of the things I had talked about on my Instagram not too long ago was, you know, when when you give birth, there's a new person that you meet and it's not the baby, it's you. You become this new person um, that you didn't even know was inside of you, whether it's your first baby, your second baby, third. There are so many changes. And, and I love that you even spoke about the seed and childbirth because that's part of development, the the process and being in the waiting period, which is one of the hardest. Right. You know, it's interesting as you say that, because like, like you said, a lot of people don't think about the fact that like they're, they're birthing the next version of themselves, even throughout that process of giving birth to another human being. Yes. Yep. It is. It is. A lot of people don't, they don't focus on that. So like for me, I am a doula. Um, I'm a birth and postpartum doula. So what we do is we uh, we help families. We help families throughout their pregnancy. I also help families even preconception to help them um, to conceive. Um, and one of the things I always tell parents, especially during pregnancy, is the importance of preparing postpartum. Because again, so many people focus on the baby. They don't focus on themselves. They don't focus on their families. Um, but we change. The circumstances are going to change, even if it's your second baby. And that's why right. I always talk about postpartum planning, how important that is, um, because you have to take care of yourself. Yes, you're going to take care of a, another life, another human being, but you have to be well yourself and having that plan. How could I be the best version of myself for my family if I'm not really acknowledging this process? of a new life, of a new person. So it's really important for families to to really focus on that. So you mentioned that you're a doula. Can you tell me the difference? Because like, for some people that don't know, like what is the difference between like a doula, a midwife, and like OBGYN? OB. Okay, so a doula is actually a non-medical professional. So midwives and OBs are considered providers. They do all of the prenatal care and postnatal care. But as a doula, anyone can be a doula. I mean, even your next door neighbor who helps you through the process of birth can be considered a doula. We're nourishing. We help with uh, resources. We help with birth planning. We help with preparing the not just the parent, but the family. Uh, we help prepare the family for birth and after. And like I also mentioned, preconception. So some of us help with preconception. Some of us are called fertility doulas. So we help with that. I do the whole process. I am huge on continuity of care and really being the whole person, right? Because we have to prepare our bodies even before pregnancy. So that's what I do. But I really focus on me specifically, um, community doula work, which means that I focus on helping families in underserved communities. So pregnant teens who may be in foster care, refugees, um, those facing homelessness, um, incarcerated women who are pregnant, um, victims of human trafficking. I have a huge burden for this community. So what I do is a little bit different. It's more community-based, uh, more more community-focused. So that's what, what I love to do. 
You know what? That's that's such a beautiful thing. It's so it's so important because like, especially in those communities, it's it's easy to feel like overwhelmed and feel like you don't have support or don't even know how to access those resources. So right. I'm inspired by you. You're doing great work. Thank you, Star. Thank you. Okay, so tell me about Paradigm Doulas. Like, how did you come up with the the name? Uh, what really inspired it? So there are two. Inspired you to go into becoming a doula. I want to know it. Oh my gosh. So I have been in healthcare for over 10 years. I actually started when you and I went to high school. We started at career. It was um, a magnet school. You either focused in business or health. I had switched to health. So I started as um, an, an MRT, a medical response technician, then a CNA. And it's funny because I started with um, helping those in nursing homes and, and hospice care. So I started with transitioning to the other life. And in college, I decided to join the military. I joined the Navy. And when I was stationed, I was helping babies. I was helping mom in pediatrics, or I was helping children in pediatrics and their families. So through pregnancy, and I fell in love. I fell in love with pregnancy. I fell in love with, with babies and newborn. And then I became pregnant. Um, I had my husband, we had our first baby. And this is where things really turned for me because I didn't get the education that I needed. I didn't know my options. So even though I was a hospital corpsman, there are a lot of things that um, I didn't really know about. Pregnancy was new to me. And I ended up having an emergency cesarean that in the process or even after I understood was unnecessary. I didn't need a cesarean. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that I went through a lot of trauma with my son, which is one of the reasons why it took me nine years to have another baby processing my trauma. Um, so that's how I got into this space, the maternal health space is my experiences. Also, you know, as a corpsman, as a medical assistant, as a community health worker. And when I was choosing the name for my company, I thought about a, a few things. One of the conversations that we have the most in the birth community is the need for a paradigm shift. Because when we look at marginalized families, when we look at people of color, women of color, Latinas, Black women, um, birthing folks, we see the disparity here. We see that we have one of the highest maternal and infant mortality rates, and we need a paradigm shift in the community. And yeah. then two, when you look at the different definitions of paradigm, one of them is being like a clear example of something. So what I wanted to do was really combine the need of a paradigm shift so that we can improve birth outcomes, but also for the doulas that I train to be an example of what it means to have care in the community. So that's how I came up with paradigm doulas. Yes, that's so exciting because I, I never knew that story. So thank you so much for sharing that. And like you mentioned, you mentioned a lot about like the marginalized communities. And I, I was just curious about what are some of the issues that you noticed um, in, within those communities or what are some of the concerns that may have come up and like challenges? There are a lot, sis. And I will say one being that our concerns aren't heard. You talk about even autonomy and us having, you know, making decisions for ourselves, we get so much pushback 
from providers, from those who have no cultural competency, for those who have um, shown no cultural humility. We're told what to do with our bodies. We're told how we feel, how we don't feel. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a huge factor. And when you talk about these medical industries, um, for example, someone coming in saying, hey, I have a headache, right? Well, that's a sign and symptom sometimes of preeclampsia. Your, your blood pressure is high. You may have preeclampsia. And someone might be like, oh, just take a Tylenol. Well, like, or telling me or telling someone else, just go through it. It's okay. It's just part of, of pregnancy. But right. now we have a, a person who is having going into preterm labor. Their baby isn't going to survive because it's 23 weeks or less right? Or they have postpartum hemorrhaging. And depending on how bad the, the preeclampsia or eclampsia gets, your organs shut down. So the, here we go into maternal mortality. So it's just a lot of different things. Um, and specifically, just not listening to our concerns, pushing those things aside. And then when it comes to, like I was telling you, I work in more um, underserved communities. It says, when we try, when there are clients who want to switch providers, there's a two to three month waiting list. So let's say, really? so let's say like some of my clients are on Medicaid um, and they have to go to community health centers. Some of them have a two to three month waiting list um, to even get seen. Oh. And one of the things I posted recently um, on my Instagram and Facebook was that CNN and uh, Marsha Dimes came out with a statistic that showed Texas has one of the worst maternal health deserts here. And I went through this since, I mean, I've been in this for over 10 years. I have been helping families for over 10 years. And one of the things they would say and their concerns is, I'm afraid of dying during childbirth. And I can tell you that in 2020, when everything started with COVID, um, I had gotten furloughed, my family and I moved back to Texas, and it was the first time I got on Medicaid as an adult. And I experienced everything <laughs> that I had helped my clients through. And I remember wow. telling my husband one day, even the day before I gave birth, I don't know if I'm, I have a feeling like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this surgery. You know, I had a provider that didn't listen to me. I try to switch providers because I know my rights. If I don't like someone, I can switch. But switch, there was yeah. a two to three month waiting list here, uh, waiting period. I had um, tachycardia or a heart issue that my heart rate would be over 160. So I had to see a cardiologist. Well, guess what? A lot of them didn't accept Medicaid. And the one that did, they have a cap. So if they already had a certain amount of patients on Medicaid for that year, they're not accepting anyone else. So here I am concerned, like going into, you know, what is it going to be? I'm going to have another surgery, even though I don't want it. And it is just a lot. And I remember being in, in someone else's shoes for the first time and experiencing that. And it concerns me because, you know, a lot of us, there's this huge push now with yeah. improved birth outcomes and changing statistics, but it's a, 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 it's a joint effort. Not one person can do it alone. And, you right. know, doulas we have been around for a long time but now they're becoming more popular and yet doulas help a lot in reducing cesarean rates and preparing families for labor but if the problem is rooted in providers we can do all that we can do but if providers are still treating us like this that's a problem and a lot of people don't even realize star the history behind why we are in the situation and it all goes back 
tell it, tell it. <laughs> it all goes back. It all goes back to slavery. Um, you know, granny midwives a lot of people don't know about granny midwives midwifery was the way that babies were born through midwives and uh -huh. there were um doctors at that point gynecology and obstetricians it wasn't really that popular right so they began using slaves and using their bodies and even doing experiments or, or different um surgeries experiments on their bodies to perfect their um their profession it used to be that we gave birth at home and they changed it to people give birth in hospitals and then those in lower communities or underserved communities will give birth at clinics where residents will be well if you look at even now even at certain community clinics that's the same model a lot of residents work at community clinics right so like here comes a change in, in going to hospital for births and not giving us the space that we need and the um, the power that we have within ourselves. A lot of people forget we were created to do this. A lot of right. people forget this. And it's really upsetting because one, doctors or providers, it, it could be anyone. You know, a lot of people focus on OBs. No, there are some midwives that are like this too. If you don't have cultural competency or practice cultural humility, we're back in the same cycle. Same cycle. And the fact that you're telling me what to do with my body, you're not giving me the space that I need to, one, I know how to listen to my body. Let me listen to my body. So a lot of people have it engraved that they need um, medicine to, to get through. A lot of people feel like they don't have the power over their bodies. And, and it continues in what I call a vicious cycle because you have to, to learn your body. You have to learn yourself. You have to learn to have control over your body and one, to understand your rights. When you don't know your rights, how could you make an informed decision? You cannot. If you don't know your options, if you don't know your rights, if you don't know that if you give birth at a hospital and you don't like a nurse or you don't like someone else, switch them. You don't have to be in an environment. That that to yeah. to you. Did you know that trauma in our environment affects the way we give birth? It affects us to that degree. Our environment, what we go through, our stress levels. And a lot of people don't know that. And no, I believe that. I, it, so much systemic racism going on, especially yeah. in the medical field. Okay. I was watching it. I saw a video, um, and I know I know this happens all the time, but like they don't really necessarily believe women of color, especially black women, when we say we're in pain or we say that right. they automatically some or they just addicted to drugs or they just want that. But there was actually a woman who went you know, she went to get a, I don't know if you saw it, but she went to get like a doctor's note so that she can go on maternity leave a little bit earlier. But uh, there was a, a white nurse was like, oh, you're yes, not Yes, I saw that. You know, yes. she's like, how are you going to tell me what my body feels? Are you going to tell me how my bones feel, how my aches feel and stuff like that? And it was just. That's what I'm talking I'm about. Like, how are you going to tell me how I feel? I'm going to tell you about my body. I'm so tired of people doing that. <sighs> Yeah. So we just shift gears a little bit because you mentioned that you're also a mom, two beautiful children. <laughs> so what has motherhood taught you about yourself? I'm still learning. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. So yeah. I have my 10 year old son, Isaiah, and my daughter, who's going to be two uh, next month, Aaliyah. 
And I'm still learning about motherhood. I'm still growing into what it means or what it is to be a mom because it's the first time that that you learn who you are. You have this new role, this new responsibility. Um, and you have to continually learn that your dreams and aspirations aren't your children's. You have to learn that their personalities aren't yours. Um, you have to learn them individually, how they're loved individually. And it's something that you learn every day. And I even talk to my husband about that, like the importance of me to really like grow as a mom, um, because it's, I can't even find the words for it. Like it, it's, it's new, it's challenging, um, but it's beautiful to be called to be a mom is so beautiful um to have that love and I even get like emotional about it to be loved in that way is beautiful um so I'm still growing I'm still growing there's not a day that I don't try to get better at this life as a mom that's beautiful what are some values that you both have instill in them for me, I want them to really learn about kindness, about giving back to the community, about being strong, loving themselves. That's something, and I'm, I'm, I don't mind being vulnerable here, but that's one thing I struggled as a child, not loving myself. Girl, mm -hmm. I look back at pictures like if I would have smiled, if I would have loved myself, I would have been. I would have more confidence in myself, right? But I didn't. Um, my my childhood experiences kind of led me that way. Um, so I want them to be confident in themselves, love themselves, not be afraid to make mistakes. You know, we come from a generation, you and I, where we got some whoopings if we didn't, <laughs> even if we were right and, and they me about it. we still got whoopings. And I don't want them to go through those experiences. You know, I want them to be themselves, be authentic um, and show kindness, show love and compassion but be strong and learn boundaries, right? I know that all of us in life, we go through things, but it's important for us to learn boundaries. You know, as a mom, you know, talking about motherhood, I know that there are things that they have to go through in life that may hurt them, but we grow, right? So I just want yeah. to equip them with, with that and how to grow because we can't take away experiences that are needed, but we can prepare them to go through those experiences. Right. Nice. Is there anything that you were taught growing up that you had to unlearn? There's a lot of stuff. Okay, even my hair. You see this curls? I didn't have those curls in high school. Why? Because well, like, the curls are popping for those. Of you okay, okay. <laughs> but I had to unlearn. Um, a lot of things from my culture being Dominican, a lot of things are sexualized. A lot of things are about themselves. I had to learn how to love me in a different way. You know, there are people still look at me in my hair and be like, girl, are you going to straighten it? Like, no. Can I love what God created? Can I love every part of me? Um, that's one of the main things. You know, there are a lot of things I learned in my culture. I had to unlearn a lot of personal things because when you grow up in an environment that focuses on your outward appearance that kind of that messes with you because you you grow internally right but when you 
don't meet certain expectations of what the culture and society places on you. It's difficult. It's difficult. So I had to unlearn a lot of things. And even now, I'm not going to give my age away. You know how old I am. But even in this uh, decade of my life, I'm still unlearning a lot of things that um, I experienced as a child. And um, it's difficult. It's difficult because you feel like you lost a lot of time. Um, but yeah, that's that's one of the main things is self-love. I had to unlearn a lot of prejudice and a lot of what society placed on me as a Latina woman. Uh, what I do now is different than what families have done. So that's my unlearning. See, I wasn't even prepared to ask you that question, but it just came up. <laughs> I definitely had to unlearn like the messages around vulnerability. So I used to see vulnerability as like a weakness, but it's actually a strength and it's a gift. Yes. And to be vulnerable actually like give someone else permission to like be open and share their heart and share their experiences. So that's ugh. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you said that because that's really important to even talk about mental health, vulnerability and mental health. We mm. come from a generation where you talked about certain um, struggles that you went through, but you were weak. Mm. You were weak. My mom would always say, I can't stand a weak bitch. So I was like, yes, I can't be weak. I'm slow. <laughs> yes. Girl, I could tell you the same. There are a lot of things that I could share, but mental health has been another thing I've had to unlearn that seeking help is okay that it doesn't make you weak it doesn't make you weak you understand that that there's a, a place in your life that you have to strengthen for yourself and your family and people that love you and that's one thing again in my culture and in a lot of cultures in society they look down on mental health um I remember my first time like being postpartum with my son I have postpartum depression really bad mm. a lot of people don't even know that um there are things that I went through because I, I didn't with my mental health at that point I didn't know how to be vulnerable I didn't know what was okay and every time I felt like I sought help I was weak um so now I'm in a space where it's okay for me to talk about it and I want to create space even for for paradigm doulas I create spaces for people to come and share and talk and be okay being vulnerable because it will help us grow that's true that's so beautiful how you're able to like create those safe spaces for like the families and, and moms just to navigate it's life life be life and sometimes but like I think a lot of times people are afraid to to speak about the things that they're going through because they don't want to be judged but right. like speaking about it is actually helping somebody else right and you know what's crazy is that when they actually start to speak and someone's like I thought I was the only one no those thoughts are normal Not when you're normal. in postpartum period you got to wake up every two hours to feed your baby you are sleep deprived your hormones are changing your hair is shedding your body's changing you're producing milk <sighs> it's so much and and people think that the thoughts they have um, make them a bad mom or a bad parent but it's actually stuff that we all go through and it's okay to say it. It's okay sometimes to be like, I want some alone time. And that's okay. That doesn't make you a bad parent. 
you know, there's a lot of things we have to have our moments too. So yeah, it's important to have that space and be, be vulnerable and surround yourself with people that'll lift you up too. So I am terrified of childbirth and motherhood and all of that stuff. So like, I'm curious, what advice would you give to expectant mothers who are preparing for motherhood and and or the birth process? I tell all expectant families, even in preconception, learn your body, uh, go with your intuition, listen to yourself, get a birth plan, know your options, know your rights. If you don't like something, change it. If you don't like your provider, change them. You don't have to be in an environment that you don't want to be. And prepare yourself too. A lot of people, one of the mistakes I see is people going through birth without going through childbirth education or going through classes. As a doula, I teach all of that, me particularly. Not all doulas provide childbirth education if they don't want to, but I always make sure that all of my clients are well-informed. They know their options, even with what provider they can see. I talk to them about different procedures that can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so many things is mm-hmm. prepare yourself, not just with those things, but emotionally as well, emotionally, mentally, because you're becoming a new person, even if it's your second or third child mm-hmm. going to birth is what people call a rite of passage. You see, that's the difference between midwifery and like OB care. OB care could be really medicalized, like, no, you have to have a baby by this time and this, this, and this. They put all of these policies on. And and yes. um, and then if you go through midwifery care, they understand that this is a process. It's a rite of passage. You were built to birth. You were built to, you were created to do this. The strength com- comes within you. It doesn't come from a provider or a medicine if you decide to get an epidural or something. No, the strength is within yourself. And then too, for those who have experienced trauma, because again, I have worked with certain populations, work through that trauma because trauma can affect childbirth. And for those who have experienced childbirth trauma, process that before going through it again, because each experience is different. Thank you for that. You know what, like you, you mentioned about like the cesarean, do you notice that like, like, it seems like every time I hear about somebody giving birth they're having a c-section like so i'm just curious like because mm-hmm. i know they don't all have to have a c-section like mm-hmm. what what is that about no well i'll be honest it's about money it's about money and time a provider doesn't have to wait hours for your body to do what it's doing mm-hmm. your your provider it's a it's an hour procedure max. You have the baby out within 30 minutes and you are sewn back up within 30 minutes. You get more money because it's a procedure. And the thing about it is that a lot of hospitals um, put like these policies in place. So for instance, um, let's say that you've been at the hospital for over 12 hours um, and they induce induced you right so they need a room they want to hurry up the process they don't want to give you time to let your body dilate and let your pelvis open and help your baby engage no so one of the things they say is if your water broke and it's been longer than this 
or you're not dilating by this time, we're going to immediately do a cesarean. And for those who don't understand their options and, and understand their rights, they'll be like, okay, no, you're paying for your room, you know? So, right. okay. Like you're paying for all of this through your insurance. So it doesn't matter what they want. And I'm not saying, so there are emergency situations, obviously, but there have been higher rates of cesareans because of this. A lot of providers don't want to wait for you, your body to do what it needs to do. And that's really upsetting for me. It's frustrating for me. And then like in my, my case, even if you have a cesarean at first, you can have what's called a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean. Okay. But there's a difference between VBAC friendly providers and VBAC tolerant providers. And I specifically had a provider that was VBAC tolerant. One of the first questions I asked is how they felt about having a VBAC. And immediately when she opened her mouth, girl, I already knew. That's why I wanted to change this provider. Mm. Because pressured me into having another cesarean. Um, and it was like, well, if you're going to have another, if you're going to try vaginally, you have to get an epidural. And I told her, no, I don't. I don't have to get an epidural just because I want to try vaginally. And she was like, well, it's in case if you go into an emergency, I understand that, but give my body time to do what it has to do. Yeah. And, you know, she would try to tell me, well, you know, that there's a higher chance of uterine rupture and an emergency cesarean arising. Okay, but it's a very low statistic. So there they go projecting all of this negativity and all of these statistics that yes, why it's so important. Real. These things no. happen. I understand that. But you don't care. You don't care. And I just remember getting exhausted, Star. Every single appointment I had with her, I had to fight with her for what I wanted. And I became weak. I'm I'll be honest with that because it was in the middle of a pandemic. I was even living with family members in the process of closing on the house. I couldn't find a doula for myself. Even as a doula, I need a doula. So I would literally like just continually fight with this lady. And I'm like, you know what? Just, just schedule the cesarean. And I was like hoping that Aaliyah would just come before so that we didn't have to do it. Um, but it ended up happening. And I, what upset me the most is not only was I pressured into this, and it's hard for me as a doula to admit this because I speak up for everyone else and I couldn't speak up for myself or I did, but I was exhausted. But can you believe, Star, that this lady made a decision for herself to do a second cesarean incision just because she, for aesthetic purposes? Let me tell you, during my appointments, she would see my incision. She would see my scar. So why didn't, if she felt that there was something wrong, why didn't she say, hey, Yanny, you know, I, I don't like the way this really looks. I'm just going to do a second incision to make sure. I don't know if they're scarring. No, it was my third day at the hospital and she came in to discharge me and she looked at my incision. She was clean. She didn't even tell me that she did it. Wow. She looked at it and she was like, hmm. And I was like, what happened? And she was like, well, it's not, um, it's not healing as straight as I thought it would. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'm thinking, you know, like my, my first incision, like it wasn't straight. So I didn't think anything of it. Right. And then she proceeds to tell me before walking out of the room, um, by the way, so when you were on the operating table, the surgical tech and I looked at each other and we looked at your scar and we decided to do a second incision for aesthetic purposes. 
Wow. And I said, what'd you say? What'd you say? And she said, I remember my aunt was in the room that they decided to do a second incision on my body on an operating table because she didn't oh like it. Not, not to say, if she would have said, it looked like there was a lot of scarring. Uh, I was just concerned. But aesthetic purposes. Yes. <laughs> yes oh my. and that star is what pushed me I'm like okay I can't believe I just went through this as a doula I can't believe that I just went through this again because mm -hmm. now I mean it wasn't an emergency cesarean like my son but now I have to deal with this trauma of my body like you didn't even care enough to understand that my childhood trauma would have actually put me in postpartum depression because you made a decision right. about my body you don't know what I went through because you didn't even care to ask. You know, in other clinics that I've worked in, even as a medical assistant, we went through a postpartum depression screening even before they delivered mm -hmm. to see if their, their risk of postpartum depression would increase. They didn't do that at this clinic. She didn't care to know about trauma that I faced. And now I'm here sitting at home trying to process the fact that someone made a decision about my body because she didn't like the way the first one looked for aesthetic purposes. And I just I'm sorry you had to go through that. Girl, I I was a, a postpartum mom doing research. I wouldn't sleep because I knew I wanted to make a difference. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna start paradigm doulas. I'm gonna create um a my husband helped me with this too. He's like, you should teach yeah. people how to become a doula because what I was just gonna do was create like a, an organization to have community doulas, which is still part of it. But yeah. I'm like, I can't believe I just went through this as a doula. I cannot believe I just went through this myself. Like, this is crazy. <sighs> but this is what we go through. And I, I remember I knew something was off because my first appointment, this lady took my blood pressure. She was a medical assistant. She was like, you must hate your hair. <laughs> That was the first thing she said. You must hate your hair. And I'm like, no, I love my hair. And this is when I'm like, okay, this must not be a place where they understand cultural humility and understand. I got treated as a piece of paper. What they saw was a Latina woman on Medicaid, not understanding that I'm on Medicaid because of our struggles, right? Because of the pandemic. And I got treated exactly like my demographics it's crazy it's you are doing such necessary incredible work and mm -hmm. I, I'm just honored to call you back oh my god I'm crying <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like so touched and so moved and just so so honored that I get to call you like a friend and a sister and just to hear like your story and hear like all the things that you've gone through and how you turned that that trauma into purpose and you're helping like to facilitate the healing of so many women. Girl, don't make me cry. <laughs> this is this is why I invited you on this show. <laughs> yeah. To hear your story and hear about all the incredible things that you're up to. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs>
babies. If, if people wanted to um, get in contact with you, if you wanted to learn more information, um, how could they get in contact with you? They can go on my website, paradigmdoulas.com. Um, there's the contact us form that you can send me a message. You can also follow me on Instagram and Facebook under the handle Paradigm Doulas. I'd be more than happy to answer questions, hear from people. Not only do I do the doula training, but I also do coaching for families. So those needing help with preconception, with pregnancy, birth, those who have experienced loss, um, I'm here. I'm here to help support families and communities in need. Awesome. So all of that information will be in the description so that you can get in touch with my girl, Yanni. And um, <laughs> what I like to do at the end of my podcast is give like the tea. So we'll say like the real tea is, I'm giving you an example, like the real tea is loving up on yourself. Um, so can you give us the tea? It could be one word or it can be like a whole word if you got like a, a whole word to give us. <laughs> yes. The real tea is knowing yourself, knowing who you are. And I say this not just as a mom, as a person, but even from an entrepreneur standpoint. If you know who you are, if you are confident in who you are, then you'll excel in anything. You know, there are a lot of obstacles that we have to face in life. But you're not easily swayed when you know who you are and you're confident in what you do. There are a lot of leaders here who I notice have to um, lead by affirmations from others. And what that shows me is they're not confident in who they are, which means that they could change at any time. So as an entrepreneur, as a person, as, as someone who wants to excel and be successful in life, Learn who you are, grow and be confident in what you do and things that you want to do in your dreams. God gives you dreams for a purpose, for a reason. And that dream is for you. So don't compare yourself to anyone else. Be confident in the things that you have and know that those things will flourish in time. Mm, that is the tea. That is the tea, baby. As I sip on my tea. You got your tea? <laughs> <laughs> okay okay <laughs> uh i just want to give you some acknowledgement before um, we wrap this up so as you were speaking um these are some words that came to mind so any i want to acknowledge you for your heart your service your passion the power that you have within you the grounding energy and your conviction like you know who you are you are living your life on purpose and you with intention and you are literally making the world a better place and just shining so much light and so much beauty into the world and so I just want to acknowledge you for that and just know that I love you and I got you and I love you. Always here if you need anything. You, sis, and you know, I could say a lot about you too. <laughs> you have overcome so much. And, you know, earlier when we were talking about society and what society places on us, you have literally overcame so many barriers. Um, and not just for your generation, but for your future generations. And I'm really honored to call you a friend. Over 10 years, girl. It's been over 10 years. And I have seen you grown grow so much so much and I love you I love you too I love you I miss you thank you for having me in this space thank you for allowing me to talk about things that are special to me 
that I'm passionate about and for others to make a difference for too. How powerful was that conversation? Oh my God. Yanni dropped so many gems. I am so, my heart is just overflowing with joy. And I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And um, I will talk to you soon. Bye, babes.